Hi, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Linda Holmes. Matthew Salis says something really relatable, like achingly, deeply relatable, to NPR's Layla Fadel about his book, The Sense of Wonder. He's talking about how the book came to be about an Asian-American NBA player named Juan Lee, who becomes a phenomenon with the New York Knicks. Sure, Salis says the book was influenced by the true story of Jeremy Lin, who also played for the Knicks. But see, in the book, Juan's girlfriend, Carrie, is a TV producer who's obsessed with Korean television series, K-dramas. And by the way, if you're not obsessed with K-dramas yet, you probably have a friend who is. And one of the reasons K-dramas are in the book is one of the same reasons the NBA is in the book. It meant that two of Salas's own passions could become his research. Who can't relate to that? This message comes from NPR sponsor LiveRight, publishers of Left for Dead. Shipwreck, Treachery, and Survival at the Edge of the World by Eric J. Dolan. The true story of five castaways abandoned on the Falkland Islands during the War of 1812. Available wherever books are sold. This message comes from NPR sponsor BritBox, streaming acclaimed original series you won't find anywhere else. With powerful performances from Jodie Whittaker, Tamara Lawrence, Bella Ramsey, Matthew McFadden, and more. Streaming at BritBox.com NPR. Korean-American writer Matthew Salisis has turned his love of basketball and Korean dramas into a novel. It's called The Sense of Wonder, with his protagonist, Won Lee, being dubbed The Wonder when he goes on a winning streak for the New York Knicks. Won Lee is the only Asian-American in the NBA. Salisis told me he was partly inspired by the Taiwanese-American Jeremy Lin, who captivated audiences back in 2012 when he played for the Knicks. I, as a kid, wanted to be an NBA basketball player, and so it was a really huge moment for me. And it seemed for maybe a week and a half that the world was kind of on Lin's side. But the whole time, everybody was kind of holding their breaths and some wondering how long this could go on before the backlash happened. And as soon as he lost that first game... There was a a racist headline on ESPN and a lot of racist comments both on TV and on social media that it seemed almost like people were saving up. And and so this happens to Juan, too, and he has to kind of deal with the fact that both that he was living in this kind of bubble of media attention for a short period of time and then also that the bubble has burst— A lot of this book has one struggling with the burden of the, quote, model minority stereotype and his struggle of when to call out the racism he's dealing with from his coach, from the industry, from the media versus when to play that role of I'm just happy to be here. I'm a team player. If you could just talk about writing that tension and and what you were trying to portray. It's something that fascinates me about the NBA in general is There's a sort of language that players have when they speak to the media, which is a very different language than they have when they're talking to each other. And then there's, they're constantly code switching. But in the NBA, that power is always on display. And you kind of forget sometimes, though I'm sure the players don't forget, right, that this is a business and it's their jobs, actually. And so they have to both protect their work selves while also trying to be true to who they are. And I think that's a really interesting tension, especially when there's so much on the table and when the dynamic can be so racially charged. 
Another character in the book is an ESPN writer, Robert Sung. He has a connection with Won Lee and also a jealousy. They're both Korean-American. Sung is adopted by white parents. Won Lee is not. They both were college and high school basketball players with aspirations to be in the NBA. But Lee makes it as the only Asian-American in the league, and Sung doesn't make it. If you could talk about that really fraught relationship and the way they're linked almost no matter what. Yeah, so they've had similar circumstances. They both played with the same superstar, Powerball, who was Sung's high school teammate. Sung was the, you know, the second best player on that team and eventually ended his career, but he still, you know, is in that world of basketball and this dream is still alive for him, so he ends up becoming a sports writer. And in this kind of interesting twist of fate, he ends up being the beat writer for the Knicks, and his job is basically to write about Powerball. Enter into that one who now is playing with Powerball, and then for this kind of brief period, rises to stardom and becomes everything that Robert Sung and Wan both kind of dreamed that somebody could become. And so there's a lot of jealousy there, but I also... I'm adopted from Korea, and I've often felt like that dynamic in the Asian-American community is kind of a strange and sometimes uncomfortable one, but I kind of feel as if I'm within the community and I gain a lot of support from the community, but also sometimes feel on the outside because mm. I haven't grown up with the same cultural touchstones. And so Sung is an is an insider in certain ways— but also an outsider in other ways, right? Even with basketball, but also with his identity. You have three sort of distinct stories going on at the same time. The story of one, which we discussed at length. The story of his girlfriend, Carrie, the TV producer, who's obsessed with K-drama and is trying to bring it to uh, an American audience. And then the story of K-drama itself. Why did you decide to incorporate K-drama as a character in the book? So the K-drama, K-drama is one of my other great loves. And at some yeah. point I thought, I'm going to write this book so that I can say that the things that I'm doing that I already do and like our research, <laughs> so that I can watch <laughs> basketball and watch K-drama, and no one can say I'm not actually writing in some way. Um, but the K-drama then started to be a way that I could see for introducing to readers unfamiliar with this kind of story, a story more driven by fate, and a story surrounding a love story and hitting on certain tropes that I wanted to tell. And I thought that if I put these K-dramas in there, that they would help readers understand the frame of reference for the book. I love that, where you're like, I'm, I love basketball. I love K-drama. That's going to be the main. <laughs> the <laughs> Sometimes main you just got to like, keep yourself happy. And yeah. It's a long process. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if this is giving stuff away, but your last line just made me laugh sarcastically probably <laughs> but you end this book with this line this is our story's frame of reference now go back and read the book again just tell me why you ended the book like that i i i, I just loved it <laughs> thank you i'm glad you liked it i think that on second read knowing the frame of reference that people might get different things from the book 
sometimes I think we finish a book and we think, now I'm done with it. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, wipe your hands, move on with your life. But the way that we understand a book is only possible once you've read the entire book. And so I hope that people will think about the things that happened in the story that I was telling now with the frame of reference of understanding the entire story. Matthew Salis's new book is called The Sense of Wonder. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. This is so wonderful. This message comes from NPR sponsor, American Express. Take your business further with the smart and flexible Amex Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits that help unlock more value from your business purchases. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Support for NPR and the following message come from our sponsor, Whole Foods Market. Host a celebratory brunch for less with 365 by Whole Foods Market, featuring wallet-happy finds like cold-smoked Atlantic salmon and more. On the TED Radio Hour, researcher Sasha Lucioni says AI can help us find climate solutions. But just training the technology itself uses a ton of energy. Training ChatGPT, for instance, emits as much carbon as five cars in their lifetime. Tech's climate conundrum. That's on the TED Radio Hour from NPR.